Well, I suspect for many of you, the last time you sang that was in like vacation Bible school or something. But as you can tell, our service this morning is, is, is really all geared around this theme of home and family and what it means that we are God's family. So a lot of our songs and our scripture readings have really given a vision for that. I want to, to begin this morning by reading to you the script from an, a television ad that gives, uh, I, I think, our culture's vision these days of family, all right? I, I thought about playing it for you, like on, on the screen behind me, but I knew you'd be so shocked that you wouldn't really be able to pay attention. <clears throat> so I'm just going to read it to you. They are the ones we trust with our most secret secrets who are always there when we need them. They are family. And while what it means to be a family hasn't changed, what a family looks like has. Now, at that point in the advertisement, we're seeing images of um, same-sex marriages, same-sex marriage families, as well as other kind of uh, arrangements of adults with children, all sorts of arrangements. This is the new us. Chevrolet Traverse, with the highest overall vehicle score for safety, for whatever shape your family takes. Do you all remember that ad? It played a ton during the Winter Olympics. That's when it first came out. Now, what I find fascinating about that television ad and others like it that have come out since is the extent to which our culture recognizes the importance of family. Like, our culture gets this. Family is a big deal. Family is important, even as our culture seeks to redefine family. So is family simply a collection of people who are committed to each other, who provide love, safety, and nurture for each other, regardless of kind of what the the biological relationships are? You know, in a time when many people have found the biological family to be a place of real pain and disappointment and even abuse. It's attractive to many people out there that we could actually probably come up with a better arrangement. But is it wisdom? Is it wisdom? This summer, we're considering God's wisdom as it's revealed in the book of Proverbs. And we've seen already that wisdom is the art of living well in God's world, which is a moral world, Today, we take up the question of wisdom at home. We're going to proceed just like we did last week when we were looking at marriage. Quick user's guide, some background and assumptions, and then six points, six principles that I think Proverbs gives us for life at home. This is not a topical sermon on parenting. There are many things the Bible says about parenting that I'm not going to say. We're going to focus in on what Proverbs has to say this morning. All right, so first, the user's guide. The reality is everyone here is a part of a family. Every single person here is either a child or a parent, and many of us are both. One of the things that that Proverbs makes really clear is that you, you never stop being a child, and you never stop being a parent. 
Now, you might stop being immature. You might become an adult child. But once a child, always a child. Once a parent, always a parent. Proverbs 23, verse 22. Listen to your father who gave you life. And do not despise your mother when she is old. That's speaking to adult children. What it means is that the relationship doesn't change in some real sense. Even as the child moves from childhood into adulthood, there remains a parent-child relationship. We never outgrow the need to listen to a parent's wisdom. And parents never get to retire. They never get to retire. So what, what that means is that so much of what Proverbs has to say to us this morning is just applicable to everybody in this room at one level or another. Because all of us are either a child or a parent or both. But there are some of us here this morning that find ourselves this morning without children, though we want them. Or we find ourselves here this morning without parents, and we miss their absence. So what do we do with this sermon, if you find yourself in that position? Well, honestly, I I think what this does is it reminds us that we live in a fallen world where infertility and death and unwanted singleness deprive us. And that's a real deprivation. What I want to encourage you is is, is allow this sermon, allow these texts about family, uh, allow it to drive you to the comfort of the gospel. But also recognize that around you, in the church, you have been given, if you're a believer, you've been given a spiritual family. God has already begun to make up your loss, your deprivation, and on the last day, he will make it up fully. You will not be disappointed. All right, so there's the user's guide. What about the assumptions of Proverbs? There are actually a lot of them, and there's no way I can can work through all of them. I just want to highlight two uh, when it comes to what, what Proverbs assumes without talking about when it comes to to home and family. First, Proverbs assumes Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2. Proverbs assumes that the biological family, the nuclear family, was created by God for a purpose, and that purpose was to be fruitful and, and to multiply. Therefore, the family, Proverbs assumes, is the basic institution and fundamental building block of society. Therefore, as well, Proverbs assumes parental responsibility for children. It's not that extended family doesn't have a role to play. It's not that that civil society and government doesn't have a, a role to play. But Proverbs assumes that primary responsibility for children at every level, educational, moral, and spiritual, social, the primary responsibility rests with mom and dad. Second assumption but uh, behind the book of Proverbs. That's that the family is, is complicated, right? The family is both a picture of God's blessing and evidence of God's curse, really the context in which God's curse works itself out. So after the fall, after Adam and Eve rebel against God, 
God reconstitutes Adam and Eve as a family. There's blessing. He brings Adam and Eve back together, and he restores to them that, that original mission, and he begins to give them children. That's, that's real blessing. But, as we also see, Adam and Eve pass on their corruption, their sinful hearts to their children. There's the curse. Now, what's, what's the implication of that? Well, basically, the implication, and, and Proverbs has this written all over it, godly parents can have ungodly children. And godly children can have ungodly parents. There are no guarantees here. Remember, Proverbs are not promises. Proverbs are not laws. Proverbs are statements of how things generally work in God's world, usually. We're going to come back to that. Now, this entire book of Proverbs is really all about parenting and raising kids, so it's a little strange that we're focusing one sermon on it. Uh, as we saw early on, this is a book that, that is aimed, it's, it's wisdom that is aimed at young men on the verge of adulthood. So even though I'm going to simply focus on a few of the Proverbs, in fact, every single proverb in here relates to parenting, child-rearing in one way or another, Okay? But when we focus on the Proverbs that look very specifically at home and and the parent-child relationship, I think six principles come into focus. I'm going to give you the six up front, and then we're going to work through them. And like last week, there's six. Well, last week there were five. There's six. I'm not going to get to develop any of these very deeply. It's going to feel a bit like a flyover, right? I'm running down a hallway, and I'm opening up doors and saying, ooh, look in here. Now, let's run down here. Look in here. So I want to encourage you kind of get it down and then go back and you can meditate on it more afterwards. But here, here are the six doors I'm going to throw open as we run down this hall. First, home is where the heart is formed. Home is where the heart is formed. Second, family ties really do bind. Family ties really do bind. Third, the generation gap is in your heart, not your head. The generation gap is in your heart, not your head. Fourth, words are necessary. Words are necessary. Fifth, you can have pain now or pain later. You can have pain now or pain later. And sixth, we're raising adults, not children. We're raising adults, not children. All right, let's, let's run down this hall together then. First, home is where the heart is formed. From the first chapter to the last chapter of Proverbs, this book understands that the home, and specifically the parent-child relationship, is the primary place of spiritual instruction and formation. So Proverbs chapter 1, verses 8, and 10, 8 to 10 read, Listen, my son, to your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. They will be a garland to grace your head and a chain to adorn your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not give in to them. Now you flip over to Proverbs 31, the last chapter. Here's how it ends. The sayings of King Lemuel, an oracle his mother taught him. O my son, O son of my womb, O son of my vows, do not spend your strength on women, your vigor 
on those who ruin kings. Mom instructing her kingly son. Parents, and the whole book of Proverbs assumes this, parents are responsible for the moral formation of their children, the spiritual formation of their children. They instruct and they teach and they discipline. You could go, go back to Proverbs 1, 8 to 10 that I just read, or Proverbs 3, 12, or Proverbs 4, 1, or Proverbs 6, 20, or Proverbs 13 and verse 24. And this moral instruction, this moral formation begins actually at a very young age. Look at Proverbs chapter 4, verse 3. When I was a boy in my father's house, still tender and an only child of my mother, he taught me, that is my dad taught me, and said, lay hold of my words with all your heart. Keep my commands and you will live. And what's clear too is we would only, only begin this instruction at a young age. This is a project that mom and dad are engaged in. It's not just mom. It's not just dad. It's, it's mom and dad. Proverbs 1.8, listen, my son, to your father's instruction. Do not forsake your mother's teaching. You know, if you're in a two-parent family, you don't, dad doesn't get to say, I'll bring home the bacon, you raise the kids. You don't get to say that. No, dads are responsible. But by the same token, moms, you don't get to say, Look, I, I'm, just, I'm just caring for them. I'm nurturing them. I'm feeding them. But it's up to you to do the instruction, Dad. That sometimes happens in, in more conservative Christian families. No, Mom, you're engaged in the instruction as well. This is, this is a, if the Lord provides, this is a two-person job. Now, on the other hand, children are to look to their parents for guidance on how to live well in God's world. Children, youth. Teenagers, wisdom is not found among your peers. Fun might be found there. People you can relate to, but wisdom's not found there. Uh, It's especially not found in the world. Now, wisdom is found at home from godly parents. So so again, right there at the beginning, uh, Proverbs 1, 8 to 10. Or you could go look at Proverbs chapter 6. Verses 20 to 22. I'm not going to read that now, but you can go back and look at it later. So so throughout the book of Proverbs, children are instructed to to listen, to remember their parents' words, to heed and to obey their parents' words. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 1 is just one example of this. My son, do not forget my teaching. So, So remember, but keep, heed my commands in your heart. For they will prolong your life many years and bring you prosperity. In in many ways, therefore, when Proverbs looks at this whole parent-child relationship and wisdom being found at home, it's really trying to flesh out for us the instruction that we're given in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 to 9. The law has been given. Israel is on the edge of the promised land. They're about to enter in. Moses is rehearsing it all with the people of God one last time. And and here's what he says in Proverbs 6, beginning in verse 6. These commands that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. 
Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. So parents, right off the bat, give yourself to the moral and spiritual instruction of your children. I know that the vast majority of you, you're already giving yourself to sort of just the physical provision for your children. And you're giving yourself to their nourishment, their nurture, certainly their education. But Proverbs says to us, we need to be giving ourselves to their spiritual formation. As parents, this is one thing that we cannot outsource, not even to the local church. The local church can help. So we run Sunday schools, first hour here. I would encourage you, if you've got kids, come. Put your kids in Sunday school. It's a great resource. We're trying to teach them the Bible. We run a youth program here for both middle school and for high school students. Great thing to get your kids involved in. We're trying to instruct them in those two programs. We're also trying to disciple them one-on-one. But parents, I mean, just think about it, right? We see your kids, oh, I don't know, at best, three hours a week. You got them 24-7. We can't make up for it if you are a no-show. If you're not engaged, actively engaged, in the spiritual teaching and formation, the discipling, the instructing of your kids, our three hours a week, it's going to be meaningless. It's, it's going to be worthless. Now, I'm a dad. I got five kids. So I understand. Life is really busy. Where, where am I going to find time to instruct my kids in the things of the Lord? Not, not only am I busy, it's, it's hard. And I'm a pastor, right? It should be easy for me, right? No. Mm-mm. I get it. It's hard. And it's risky. I get that too. What if I really give myself to this? What if I try really hard? What if I pour myself into my kids and they reject it? They walk away from it. I don't like that risk. And for some of us, when we're faced with something risky, it's easier to just not try in the first place. Parents, the home is the primary place of sanctification in your life and in your kids' lives. Marriage is kind of the undergraduate degree in sanctification. Parenting, that's the graduate program. All right? And If you've got kids at home, if you've got kids who've grown up and left the home, you're enrolled in that program. You might feel like a total failure, but this is a calling that God has placed on you. You you, you didn't take it up yourself. God gave it to you. He will give you the strength and the wisdom that you need. He's not giving you any guarantees. That he is calling you to pour yourself into your kids. Your children are watching. Your children are listening. What are you saying? What are you doing? Now, I know that there's a lot that discourages us in this. Let me just quickly say 
Stop comparing the inside of your family to the outside of everybody else's families, right? Because you understand when you come to church, that's what you're seeing. You're seeing the outside of other people's families. You're deeply aware of the inside of your family. I assure you, if you could see the inside of other people's families, you would feel better. <laughs> now, I don't know if that's a really a godly kind of feeling better, but you, you would feel better. So stop comparing yourself to other families. You understand your kids are your kids. God didn't give you somebody else's kids. Uh, you know, I remember uh, spending some time with, with Mac and Leanne Stiles. Many of you all will rem- remember them, and Adrian and I try to spend time with them every year. They really encourage us. They, they've kind of discipled us over the years. And I remember at one point being super discouraged about our own parenting after hanging out with the Styles. The Styles have three boys. At the time, we had three boys, and uh, Sarah hadn't, hadn't shown up yet, and James was not even a twinkle. And so... Um, uh, I was just deeply discouraged, you know, and Mac, Mac just said to me, Michael, Michael, God gave you your kids. Our, our kids are different. Our, our kids, he's referring to his own boys, our, our kids are like placid. They're, they're, they're calm. They came out of the womb that way. That wasn't our parenting. That's just the way they are. Your kids came out like little firecrackers, all right? <laughs> So, so understand that God gave you the kids that you have. He's going to give you the strength and the wisdom that you need to parent your kids. But you must parent them. You must give yourself to this. Children, I know your parents might seem quite old-fashioned. They might seem out of touch. They might be difficult. Just ask my kids about difficult parents. But here's the thing. Your parents have lived a lot more life than you have. And that is God's gift to you. Even if your parents aren't Christians, your parents have learned a ton about just how to live. I mean, if you were going to go and learn an instrument or, or a sport, right, what would you do? You would go find someone who had already played that sport a long time, or had already played that instrument a long time, and you would say to that person, teach me what you know. This is what God's given you in parents, and you don't even have to pay for it, right? They're there 24-7. They are a good gift to you. And if they are godly parents and they're following Jesus, that's even better, even better. Maturity recognizes this. I still remember how much my parents learned between the beginning of my freshman year and the end of my freshman year. I just could not believe how wise they had gotten. I could not believe when I got home how smart they were. It was only much later that I realized they hadn't actually changed at all. It was me. I had changed. I had actually grown up a little bit and recognized what an incredible gift my my parents were. Children, don't wait till your freshman year to learn that lesson. Listen to them. Now, as a church, we need to recognize that in the New Testament, God has done something absolutely amazing. Through Jesus Christ, he has brought us into a new family, the spiritual family of God. He, he, it's not that he doesn't care about our biological and physical families. Boy, there's, there's instruction all over the New Testament about them. We're looking at the book of Proverbs today. But something amazing has happened. John chapter 1, to those who believe in the name of Jesus Christ, they are given the right to become children of God. 
That means this is a family. That's what a local church is. So while all parents are shaping their kids' hearts, whether they know they are or not, whether they're Christians or not, God has given us this family that that, that transcends the biological family to shape our hearts. We should take this seriously. Now, there are all sorts of ways to take this seriously. Because because we're talking about parenting, I'll just start. Volunteer for children's ministry, right? Here's here's a great way to begin to take seriously this, this understanding that we are a family. We need you in children's ministry. If you served last year, thank you so much. Please serve again this coming year. Think of it as a contract extension with heavenly benefits, okay? If you haven't served in children's ministry before, begin. Start now. How do you do that? Well, first, you've got to join the church because we want to know you. We want to be in a covenant relationship with you you before we entrust our kids to you. So join the church and then sign up. Go through the training. We need all sorts of volunteers. I think we need like 15 people for first hour next year. We need like 70 people for second hour next year, and I think 56 for the Sunday evening service. That's not every week. But those, those, they're rotating teams. Those are rotating teams. So please consider signing up for children's ministry. But understand that being a family here in the local church, that goes way beyond serving in children's ministry. No, it means being a family. Therefore, it means one-on-one discipling with each other. It means speaking the truth into each other's lives. It means exercising discipline in each other's lives when that's needed. It means modeling and encouraging to one another. Because family is where the heart is formed. The biological family, the spiritual family. All right, second, family ties really do bind. Family ties really do bind. We've all heard the phrase, blood is thicker than water. It's, a, it's an English proverb. Uh, it speaks to the loyalty that everyone feels towards their own flesh and blood, their own kin. The book of Proverbs affirms that reality. The, the book of Proverbs understands that, and at a certain level underscores it. So on the one hand, Proverbs assumes, kind of the expectation is that, that parents will not only care for their children, but parents will be wise, good stewards of the resources that they've been given, and parents will leave an inheritance for their children. Proverbs 13, verse 22, a good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children, but a sinner's wealth is stored up for the righteous. On the other hand, the obligation isn't just from parent to child. Proverbs understands that children should care for their parents in their dotage. I chose that word on purpose, because if I said when you're older, some of you would be, you know, offended. I'll let you decide when you've entered your dotage. (laughs) But once you've entered it, your your children, if the Lord gave them to you, have an obligation to care for you in that. Proverbs 19, verse 26, he who robs his father and drives out his mother is a son who brings shame and disgrace. In the ancient uh, Israelite world, you would have cared for your parents by letting them continue to live with you. You know, the the firstborn would inherit the home and the land, and mom and dad would just keep living with them, and you'd, you'd keep caring for mom and dad. It's a disgrace to drive mom and dad out, to, to rob that from them. 
But God's wisdom in the book of Proverbs pushes this one step further. It's not just about physical care, about inheritance, and that sort of thing. There, there is a boomerang of blessing and curse tied to family relationships. Here's where the family ties bind. Here's where they really bind. There is a boomerang of blessing and curse. It works both ways, from parent to child and from child to parent, and it works both for good and for ill. So Proverbs chapter 10, verse 1, a wise son brings joy to his father, but a foolish son grief to his mother. Or Proverbs 11, verse 29, he who brings trouble on his family will inherit only wind, and the fool will be servant to the wise. There it is negatively. On the other hand, Proverbs chapter 20, verse 7, The righteous man leads a blameless life. Blessed are his children after him. Parents, the way you live can be a blessing to your kids long after you're gone. John Donne was right. No man is an island. We are connected to each other in families by God's design. This is the way he created us. He built it into his law in in the Ten Commandments. Honor your father and mother so it will go well with you in the land the Lord your God is giving you. And God then continues to work this sort of boomerang principle out in our lives. Why does he do this? Why has he connected us to each other this way, even though sometimes we don't want to be connected to each other at all? Why is this? I think there are a lot of reasons, but it's in part to teach us that no matter how hard we try, we cannot live independently of our family. And therefore, we cannot live independently of God, our Heavenly Father. If honoring father and mother on this earth brings blessing, honoring God brings even more. If if cursing our parents, according to the Proverbs, brings judgment then cursing our Father in heaven brings eternal judgment. So there's one reason. We are are seeing a, a picture of spiritual realities lived out in physical realities in our families. I think the other reason that this works the way it does in our biological families is because God put it there to teach us how we should live as a church. Just as I am connected to my mom and dad, who happen to live all the way back in Tennessee but I still have obligations to them. Well, how much more do I have obligations to you, my brothers and sisters, who are living right here, right around me? Family ties really do bind. We want to give attention to them. We we want to repent of living independently. Third, the generation gap is in your heart, not your head. It's in your heart, not your head. Our culture makes a big deal of the generation gap, really ever since the 60s, maybe before, but certainly since the 60s, our culture assumes that youth will just reject their parents and kind of mock them and make fun of them because they're out of touch, they're not cool. That, that's just the assumption, and we've, we've kind of gotten used to it. We all just kind of think it's normal that teenagers and parents don't get along. That may be But it's not because of age, it's because of sin. Throughout Proverbs, we see a very different vision 
we see parents taking delight in their kids. Parents delighting in their children. Proverbs chapter 23, verse 15 and 16, which is just one example of many. My son, if your heart is wise, then my heart will be glad. My inmost being will rejoice when your lips speak what is right. Now listen to Proverbs 17, verse 6. Children's children are a crown to the aged, and parents are the pride of their children. We all get the first part of that proverb, right? We understand that grandparents are proud of their grandchildren. They're like that crown we looked at last week. That Man, they make you stand out. You want everybody to see them. But did you catch the second half of the verse? The pride of children should be their parents. The, the, the word for pride right there could be translated glory. The glory of children is their parents. It's, it's a word, actually. It's a very specific word that, that is often used to describe the fine and rich garments that a person of noble rank would have worn. It really sets them apart. Kids, you are to be clothed with the finery of your parents. Your parents should be your glory and set you apart. I know you don't normally think of them that way, but that's the way Proverbs describes them. God made kids to want to grow up and be like their parents, kind of hardwired into creation. And God made parents to want to be proud of their kids. But in the Proverbs, all of this is tied to the presence of wisdom. Kids are not going to glory in foolish parents. Parents are not going to be proud of foolish kids. If there's a gap between the generations, it's not because we like different music. It's because of sin on the part of parents and kids. So parents, are we looking for opportunities to delight in our kids? Or are we always on them? Are we always critical of them? Are we, are we always correcting them? Or another way to think about this, parents, do we ever stop and praise our kids when we see godly wisdom displayed in their life? Or do our kids only hear praise from us when we see worldly success achieved in their lives? What do our kids hear praise for more often? Their success at school or their growing godliness? Their promotion at work or their promotion in grace? By the same token, parents, what are you giving your kids reason to be proud of you for? Do your kids have reason to be proud of you for anything other than, you know, you work hard at your career, you've, you've been faithful to your spouse, you're, you're providing physically at home? Those are all great things. Don't mean to discourage those at all. But are you giving your kids an opportunity to, to glory in your godliness? Kids, I, I know you want your parents to be proud of you. And that doesn't go away even when you grow up. I, I remember how much it hurt when I realized my, my dad just wasn't really all that impressed that I got into grad school and graduated from grad school. It, it, he kind of could care less. I, he's changed. He, he, he now is proud of me for it. But at the time, it just wasn't meaningful to him. 
And that really hurt. I wanted my dad to be proud. Kids, how much more important that your parents be proud of your character and not just your success? Proverbs 23, verses 24 and 25. The father of a righteous man has great joy. He who has a wise son delights in him. May your father and mother be glad. May she who gave you birth rejoice. Kids, aspire to wisdom. And so aspire to make your parents proud and glad and delighted in you for who God is making you to be and not just your success. They will be proud of you. All right, fourth. Got to hurry on. Fourth. Words are necessary. Words are necessary. If home is where the heart is formed, the way the heart is formed is discipline. It's discipline. In fact, you know, it's sayings in the book of Proverbs about, about not sparing the rod that most people, probably in the church and outside of the church, know, and it's what makes most people like nervous about this book. But in fact, the main form of discipline that Proverbs encourages is not corporal discipline. The, the, the discipline that Proverbs talks about again and again and again, over and over and over, is verbal. It's verbal, not corporal. And I'm, I'm not talking about tongue lashings. I'm not talking about lectures here. I mean positive teaching and instruction. I can't even begin to read all of the Proverbs that make this point. We've already heard some of them. Here's one more. Proverbs 13, verse 1. A wise son heeds his father's instruction, but a mocker does not listen to rebuke. We all know our kids are watching, so it matters what we do. But the message of Proverbs is that actions are not enough. Sometimes you've heard people say, share the gospel, use words if necessary. Yeah, that's about as ridiculous a thing of saying as, as uh, parent, your, parent your children well, use words if necessary. Uh, friends, words are necessary. A good but silent model will produce moral atheists. If you want to raise moral atheists, well, that's your choice. The, the way to do it is live a super good life, lead a Christian life, but never talk to your kids about it. Never use words. Our children actually need us to explain our actions. They need to know why we're living the way we're living. Proverbs actually piles up the words to describe, to describe this. It talks about instruction, which implies correction. It talks about teaching, which is literally Torah, which is about giving direction to someone's life. It, it talks about commands. We know what commands are. And rebukes. We know what rebukes are. All of it, though, instruction, teaching, commands, rebukes, all of it must be said. We actually have to use words. We have to speak to our kids. We, we, we want to use Scripture's words, but we want to also use our words as we build a worldview for our kids, as we apply God's word to the specifics of their life, as, as we correct their misunderstandings, and as we rebuke and correct false ideas that they've picked up from the world. I'm not talking about constantly lecturing your kids. Please don't do that. What I'm talking about is engaging them. 
What, what I'm talking about is, is, is what Proverbs 6, Deuteronomy 6 was talking about. As you're going along, just all the time in daily life, as you're going to the store, as you're going to the pool, as you're going to church, as you're putting them to bed, talk to them. Be available to answer those questions. Engage them with life. That's good. Don't assume that they just get it because they don't. They need us to use words. And I want to speak specifically to dads here because I wonder, dads, do most of our words fall into just a couple of categories? Commands, take out the garbage. I say that a lot in my house. Or interrogation. I'm not saying question. Interrogation. Why were you home so late last night? You know, if most of our words are just commands and interrogation, it's no wonder that our kids stop listening to us. Proverbs tells us that our speech should be sweet to our kids' ears. Proverbs 24, verse 13. Eat honey, my son, for it is good. Honey from the comb is sweet to your taste. Know also that wisdom is sweet to your soul. If you find it, there is a future hope for you, and your hope will not be cut off. Dads, are you talking to your kids? And if you are talking, is your speech dripping with sweet wisdom, like honey from the comb? Now, of course, what that means, parents, is you know, we can't talk about what we don't know about. It has to start with us. It has to start in our hearts. It, we, we, there's no way we're going to instruct our children and form their hearts in the fear of the Lord if the fear of the Lord hasn't gripped my heart, your heart. You can read all the books on parenting you want. You can have the best techniques for child rearing. You can bring them to church faithfully. But parents, if your heart is not ravished by the love of the Lord, then your kids aren't going to be either. They have to see it in you. There have been a number of really interesting studies here lately about how many kids are leaving evangelical churches and not returning. And as they've done these studies, one of the best predictors, maybe the best predictor of, of children growing up to actually adopt the faith that they were taught is not how good the youth program or the children's ministry program was. It's how personally and vitally engaged dad was in his own personal walk with the Lord and then with his kids' lives. Fathers, personally and vitally engaged in the Lord, are the best predictor, humanly speaking, of children who grow up to follow the Lord as adults. Words are necessary. Fifth, you can have pain now or pain later. Pain now or pain later. Words are necessary, but Proverbs knows they're not enough. Children must feel the painful consequences of their folly. Children must feel the painful consequences of their folly. All of us, all of us are born with corrupt hearts. We're all born fallen. We're born sinners. We're not sinners because of what we do. We do what we do because we are sinners. And that's true of children. Proverbs twenty-two fifteen: folly is bound up in the heart of a child but the rod of discipline will drive it far from him. And when Proverbs refers to the rod, it means corporal punishment. It means corporal punishment. Let me be very clear. The Bible never condones 
or encourages or excuses physical abuse, abuse that actually damages the body, that, that hurts a child, uh, that, 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 that does lasting damage to them, never condones, never encourages, never excuses physical abuse. The point of parental punishment is always remedial, never destructive. So if you're here this morning and you have been the victim of physical abuse in your own home, let me encourage you today, come talk to someone. Come talk to me. Talk to some uh, adult, some authority figure that you trust, but talk to them because you should not be experiencing abuse anywhere but particularly in the place that is meant to be a safe place, an encouraging and nurturing place. And, and let me just also make it very clear that here, here at Henson, this is why one of the reasons we have um, uh, safety and security policies with our children's ministry. As a pastor, I'm a mandatory reporter of abuse. If I suspect abuse, I will talk to the appropriate legal authorities. That's true of all of the elders. That, that, that should be true of our Sunday school teachers. I'm not sure if it legally is or not, but, but it should be. We, we take this very seriously here. There should be no abuse. Because corporal punishment is, is not abuse, precisely because its motive is love. Not destruction, not damage, not anger, but, but love. Proverbs 13, verse 24. He who spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is careful to discipline him. That doesn't make sense to our world. How could love actually intentionally bring pain into somebody else's life? Well, quite simply, because the loving parent does not want to see his child handed over to death in the end. And so a loving parent disciplines his child now. Proverbs 19, verse 18, discipline your son, for in that there is hope. Do not be a willing party to his death. Many people would like to write off this teaching uh, as as simply cultural, and we've outgrown it. I, I I don't think so. Not only because this is the inspired word of God, but, but because it wasn't just the Hebrews, right? It, it was the Egyptians who first said that a boy's ears are on his backside, not his head. That, that was the Egyptians. Yeah, think about it for a minute. The boy's ears are on his backside, not his head. Par- parents, I know that it is tempting to withhold discipline. It is tempting. I have been guilty of that many, many times myself. But what we need to understand is that withholding discipline when it's needed is really just hate. It's hate disguised as pity. Now, for some of us, that means we've got to change our attitude towards authority. Many of us who grew up as baby boomers or just after, we don't like authority, and we don't like to exercise it. We want our kids to be our friends. We don't want to be authority figures in their lives. Brothers and sisters, God made you an authority in your child's life for your child's good. I I would encourage you if you're struggling on this particular issue, pick up a copy of uh, the book by the Farleys on our bookstall called Gospel-Powered Parenting. Or pick up the book by uh, Ted Tripp on our bookstall 
called uh, Shepherding a Child's Heart, both of those give wonderful practical instruction on how authority and love actually go together. Now, I think it's right here that we see God's love for us, ironically. First, as we, as we sang early in the service, we know that we are his children because God disciplines us. Hebrews 12, 7, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. So the principle for us is the same as for our kids. A hard way to wisdom is better than a soft way to death. God loves us in discipline. But second, what God has spared us, he did not spare his own son. Proverbs 23, 13 to 14 says, Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you punish him with the rod, he will not die. Punish him with the rod and save his soul from death. Friends, our folly, and all of us are guilty of folly, our folly does not deserve discipline. It deserves death. This is why we discipline our children. We want to save them from that end. Jesus Christ, God's own Son, led a life of perfect wisdom. No folly, not even once. He did not deserve even punishment, much less death. But God determined in advance to give him over to death for us. And and, and Jesus himself willingly agreed to that. On the cross, he was not being disciplined. He was being judged. Not for his sin, but, but for ours. The cross, you see, is not the father beating his son. That the cross of Jesus Christ is the judge punishing the sin bearer as our substitute. And on the cross, Jesus Christ exhausted God's wrath, his his judicial wrath for our folly, so that if we repent of our folly and and put our faith in Jesus, we are forgiven. And what's more, we are made sons and daughters so that we know that every stroke of suffering in this life is proof now that we are sons and daughters because a father disciplines the son he loves. Know, though, that if you are not in Christ, every stroke of suffering, every trial in this life is just down payment on final judgment. Friend, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, there is a God who loves you and who would be your father if you would turn to him in faith through Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you to do that today. Come talk to me afterwards. I would love to talk to you about this. And this really leads us where I want to conclude. I mean, what is it that we must do? We we have to make a choice. This is the sixth principle Proverbs lays out for us, and that is that as, as parents, we are raising adults, not children. What I mean by that is that in the end, The best training, the most consistent discipline, the most loving family cannot infallibly, perfectly instill wisdom. Our children must choose which way they're going to go. And they will be responsible for that choice. That's really what it means to be an adult, to be someone who can be held responsible for their choices. This is what we're raising. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 11, even a child is known by his actions by whether his conduct is pure and right. Discipline and training, words of teaching and instruction, put this choice in front of our children, but all of our good parenting is not a guarantee. I think sometimes we turn to Proverbs 22.6 
Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not turn from it. We turn to that as if it were like this, this magical promise that good parenting will produce good children. Yeah, they may, be, they may have fallen off the rails right now, but they will come back. Friends, that's not the way Proverbs work. At, at best, this verse is, just a, is, is a general truth of the way things generally work. Training is the way to wisdom, but it is also quite possible that that proverb is sarcastic. Literally, it reads, train up a child in his own way, and when he is old, he will not turn from it. In other, in other words, it's a warning not to withhold discipline for the child. You give a child his head when he's young, and he'll keep it his whole life. Either way, what we see again and again in Proverbs is that a choice is set before our kids. We lead them to that choice, but they must make it. And we must let them make it. We must not so shelter them that we keep them children forever. We're raising adults, not kids. And the fact is, we're no different. The choice is before all of us. Will we, will we respond to the discipline of trials that come from a, a heavenly Father's hand in His moral universe? Will we Will we heed the command of God's law and, and admit our guilt before it? Will we, will we listen to the words of love from the Father held out to us in the gospel? If we will, if we will do this today, then, then know for certain that your Father who made you is not angry at you. Not, not at all. Far, far from anger, He delights in you. Listen again to Proverbs 23, 15. I've read it already, but understand that these are God's words to you if you are in Christ. My son, if your heart is wise, then my heart will be glad. My inmost being will rejoice when your lips speak what is right. The inmost being of God himself rejoices in you if you are in Christ. God is proud of his children. He delights in them. What more could you give your own children? What more could you ask for for yourself? Let's pray. Take a moment, just before I begin to pray, just in quietness. Consider what you've heard. Think about what you want to take away with you today. Heavenly Father, oh, what a privilege it is to call you Father. We pray that you would cause us to have ears to hear your word. As a wise son listens to his father, oh, may we listen to you this morning. Give us to hear your words. Ears to hear your words. Give us, give us the willingness to accept your discipline. And so know you in all of your love. Father, where we need to repent, either as parents or children, we pray that you would give us grace to do that. Most of all, we pray for the grace to turn wholly to Christ.
and so know for certain that we are yours. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.